Welcome to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM's POTUS. Welcome to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM for Tuesday, February 27th. I'm Andrew Walworth. Well, today, voters in Michigan head to the polls for the 2024 primaries there. The state was key to Joe Biden's victory in 2020. And we'll look at what the polls are telling us about what may happen there when the votes are counted later tonight. We'll also take a look at GOP candidate Nikki Haley and whether her path forward might include a third party bid at the head of the no labels ticket. So, Tom, let's dive right in. A couple polls to talk about. But let's start with Michigan. What does the Real Clear Politics average of polls tell us about today's vote? It tells us that, barring some huge surprise, uh, we should have a, a relatively easy victory for both Donald Trump and uh, President Joe Biden in their respective primaries. Now, the, the Republicans are doing a convention on Saturday where they're going to allocate the delegates and whatnot. But um, in the polls in Michigan close at 8 p.m. East. And um, look, it should be an easy, uh, an easy victory. Now, there are Democrats who have been and Rashida Tlaib already voted, came out and said she was happy to vote against Joe Biden in the primary. She voted for uncommitted. Um, and they've been urging Democrats and progressives have been urging uh, folks to do that across the state. So we'll have to see as we talked with Sean Trendy in yesterday's show, that'll give us a gauge of, of, uh, Biden's sort of weakness, particularly in this state, which I can't emphasize enough, is absolutely critical to his path to winning the presidency in a in a rematch in November against Donald Trump. Again, Trump won it narrowly, Michigan in, in 2016, Biden won it in 2020. But if two, three, four percent of of progressive Democrats, Arab Americans in the Dearborn area, decide not to come out in November, um, that's a huge, huge problem for the president. And so right now, just on the Trump, uh, Nikki Haley front, it's I think I looked at it. It's like a 55 point differential right now, Carl, is uh, I mean, that can't be good news for the Nikki Haley campaign. No, I she look, she shows she can take a punch and, and, and deliver some punches, you know, jabs, left hooks, even a couple of right crosses and Trump's feeling it. But and, and good and, and more power to her problem is you can't keep running second in these primaries and you can't she said she said after new hampshire in south carolina home state she had to win and she had to do better than she did in new hampshire she did about the same well now she's going to do if the unless these polls are completely wrong she's going to do much worse in michigan you can't keep coming in second and getting no delegates super tuesday states you've got all these winner take all states i mean you've got to keep you got to win somewhere you can't keep losing and you can't lose by 56 points that then you don't look like a credible no no candidate for the nomination. Yeah. So, Tom, they, they call that the blue wall. It's Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, let's talk about Wisconsin for a second. Uh, that 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 uh, isn't until later uh, in the cycle. Right. I think it's April 2nd, uh, but it's an important swing state along with Michigan and um, Pennsylvania. Um, new poll from Emerson. Uh, college New poll from Emerson this morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Hill and Emerson came out with a. Another new poll, um, you know, Trump 45, Biden 42. So a three-point lead, which if you look at, we have one, two, three, four polls that have been taken this year in Wisconsin. Most of them were in January, mid to late January. So this is the first poll in February. But 
you know, every single one of those has been a tie or or Trump ahead, and Trump's ahead by one point two percent in our average. So um, it's more of 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 the same in terms of you know Biden showing weakness across the Rust Belt Upper Midwest, and again, same story we talked about a little bit before. You add uh, Kennedy to the mix, and uh, Jill Stein and Cornell West, and it gets worse for Biden. He, right. In this case, not not much worse. He, he's behind by four points as opposed to three. But uh, when there are more candidates in in the field, everything that we've seen, every poll, I mean, just not from Emerson, but but from every poll, uh, shows that Biden suffers a little bit more. He loses a little bit more support to the other candidates than, than Trump does. So again, Wisconsin also, I mean, if you take that one out of the mix, uh, you know, becomes hard for Biden to to find a way to. He's going to have to make that up somewhere else, and there are no no obvious places where he's going to win. Especially um, if he's showing weakness there, you can expect weakness in other states as well. Right? Is there any one of the sort of seven swing states that we sort of focus on where Biden's ahead at this point? Uh, he's behind in almost all of them, except mm. for Pennsylvania, where he's leading by less than a single percentage point. I mean, it's right. that close. He's he's leading by, I think our latest average there has him at plus uh, 0.6%. Um, but everywhere else, he's behind, including Nevada, which again, that's a, that's a Democratic state. That's a state that has gone Democrat the last couple of times. He's down by over eight points there, seven points in Georgia, five points in Arizona. Um, so of those, what I call the big six battleground right. states, He's losing in five of them, and well, you plug that into the, you know, the the electoral map, and it comes out to be an over three hundred electoral victory for for Donald Trump. Wow. Well, uh, you're listening to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM. I'm Andrew Walworth. I'm talking with RCP President and co-founder Tom Bevan and Washington Bureau Chief Carl Cannon. We're talking about polls, um, and another interesting poll came out today, Carl from Gallup um, again. Not good news for Joe Biden. I, I feel like we're piling on, but these polls just, you can't argue the numbers, can you? I, look, I don't mean to kick a guy when he's down, Andy, but you asked me about the Gallup poll, so I'll tell our listeners. <laughs> but, and Gallup is as straight as they come. Trouble signs for Biden is the headline on this item. It showed that if you took the president's approval rating, the incumbent president's going back 60 years, Biden has the lowest job approval rating. And this is this is pretty good social science because Gallup's asked the question word for word the same way since Roosevelt was president, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, you know, do you approve or disapprove the job? And then you fill in the name of the president, Jimmy Carter, Harry Truman is doing as president. And Joe Biden in January, his average January was 41% positive. Um, you compare this, nothing compares to it. You know, Eisenhower was 77%. Uh, Barack Obama, not not high, 45, but significantly higher than this. George H.W. Bush, uh, he, he's trails even people who lost, you know, Lyndon Johnson didn't make it to the starting gate. He pulled out. And then you had three incumbent presidents who lost re-election, Jerry Ford, George H.W. Bush, and Jimmy Carter. And Biden is lower than all of them. Now, wow. so, but is there silver lining in these numbers? You got you can't note it, look at the numbers and see the silver lining. You have to use your sort of bring something to it. And what I would bring to it is this. None of these candidates that we're talking about face Donald Trump. In, right. in the general election. And if and if Donald Trump has a ceiling, 
he may have a ceiling. His ceiling may be 47%. That brings a couple of things into play. It means that Joe Biden could be competitive despite these very grim numbers in this in the, that Tom talked about. And it, but it also means that these third party candidates that Tom also talked about are really, really a thorn in their side. And you realize it's why the Democrats are spending so much time, you know, trying to delegitimize no labels, trying to attack Robert F. Kennedy Jr., keep him off the ballot, doing all these things they're doing. Because if, if, if Biden, if Trump has a ceiling, he also has a floor, and and they, and they have an unpopular president, historically speaking. I, I'll, I'll give you another you silver lining in yeah. these numbers, um, which is, you know, in our average right now, we have about I don't know, it looks like a dozen or so polls, and Biden's approval rating in the average is forty point two. Now that is not his all time low. His all time low is thirty six point eight, which was way back in July of twenty two. Um. But it's still pretty low, and certainly by historical standards, it's it would be you know death, right? And for for an incumbent to to run with that kind of metaphorically number. How, speaking, metaphorically yes, speaking. Um, but you know, it used to be the the historical number, right? The Mendoza line, as people talk about it, right, was fifty percent. It makes right. sense if you think if more than fifty percent of the country think guys doing a good job, they'll vote for him to be reelected, and vice versa. I think that. That evaluation, that metric is broken, and Donald Trump broke it. He never had higher than, than you know, he was never above water in his job approval rating the entire time he was president. Uh, Democrats never gave him more than 7% or so approval for anything that he did, even when he did things that, that people agreed with, on, on the Democrats agreed with on trade or whatnot. Um, and Joe Biden's the exact opposite. I mean, no matter what he does, Republicans give him terrible marks, and Democrats by and large, have given him high marks. And so it's a, it, it's been fluctuating mostly among independents, which is a, you know, we can argue about how big the, the independent group is. However, um, so that, you know, having a, a low job approval rating is not as politically perilous as it used to be. But again, we're I'm, I'm arguing between, you know, 50% to maybe 45%. You get below 45 and now we're struggling. But you go back and look at where Joe Biden's job approval rating was in the first week of November in 2022, right before the midterm elections. And he was at 42%. And a lot of these swing states where a lot of these crucial races were in Arizona, where Mark Kelly was running, in Georgia, where uh, Raphael Warnock was running, Biden was below 40%, 37, 38, 39. And you would have thought, and this is part of the reason people thought there would be a red wave, that Democrats were going to get punished for Joe Biden's presidency and his policies and whatnot. And it did not happen. And and so I think Democrats can take a little bit of, of heart in the fact that maybe these numbers, while they're bad and they're pretty grim, uh, historically speaking, they may not translate into as bad of a situation as as uh, you know, they might otherwise be again, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> it's the best argue, argument you can make right now, given where the numbers stand. A glass half full argument Correct. from Tom Bevan, which is, uh, which is uncharacteristic of Tom. It's a rare Tom <laughs> tends to view it as empty, but uh, you're listening to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM. And I'm talking with RCP president and co-founder Tom Bevan and Washington Bureau Chief Carl Cannon. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Nikki Haley's path forward and whether it includes a run as a third party presidential candidate this fall. I'm Andrew Walworth. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's real. It's clear. And it's on POTUS. It's real, clear politics. Sirius XM 124.
Not bound by any left-right constructs. Real clear politics. Open to a wide political spectrum. This is POTUS on Sirius XM Channel 124. Welcome back to Real Clear Politics. I'm talking with Carl Cannon and Tom Bevan. And Tom, the parlor game du jour in Washington is to try to figure out what Nikki Haley's strategy is. And one of the more intriguing possibilities is that she would team up with this group called No Labels and run at the top of a unity ticket for the White House. What do you think? I understand why we say these things and because we're pundits and this is part of if we didn't do this, what else would we do? We wouldn't have anything to talk about. I think, uh, you know, Ari Fleischer was one that mentioned that on Fox News after her that her her speech in South Carolina was a quote unquote, no label speech, the way she talked about uh, her loss and and giving voters an option and an alternative to that. Nobody wants Biden and nobody wants Trump and the numbers show that. And they do, by the way, she's right about that. Um, But she's simply not able to, she's not able to get traction with that argument inside of the two party system as it currently exists. And so, you know, and no labels, um, they were going hot and heavy for, for Joe Manchin or one of these other candidates and, and he bowed out. And so they're kind of, looking around and and needing someone to be at the top of their ticket. They have said that they wouldn't do anything, run anybody, if the polling showed that it would help Donald Trump be president. Um, and the question is, could Nikki Haley be uh, someone who actually is a spoiler for Donald Trump? I asked Sean Trendy about this yesterday. He said he doesn't think that, that Nikki Haley would pull any votes from Donald Trump and that she would, in fact, pull votes from Joe Biden. So, if that's true, and I don't know that we have any data to support that yet, I'm sure we'll have some polling that will ask these questions coming out. That um, you know, it's going to be tough to see how how that materializes, and that she uh, gets on the top of a no labels ticket and without being a spoiler for for Joe Biden. So, Carl, how seriously should we take no labels? I and mean, they've got this slogan: uh, "Not left, not right, forward," um, which. I'm sorry. It sounds something right out of Veep to me, but um, yeah, you know. I love I love the group, and I think that they, and I they're well meaning, and they they realize that our politics they're onto something. They say our politics is broken, and that a plurality of Americans agree with this and don't like either party. They have they have resisted forming a third party, though. Their 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 push for the last dozen years is to try and get people to behave better, mostly in Congress, which was where their push has has been predominantly. But now they're talking, as they did four years ago, coming up with a ticket. They say they won't help Donald Trump. If they can help Trump win, they'll pull out. But I I think that's unknowable. And the other, th- and I think they're just going to have to make a decision whether they're going to run or not and let the chips fall where they may. What they're saying, though, is that they're running to win, not be a spoiler. Now, could they win enough states? Well, they could throw it into the House of Representatives. We, we can see how that could happen. Biden would have very a difficulty winning in the House of Representatives under those very complex rules. But a good government group doesn't necessarily want to throw the election into the House of Representatives where the rules are arcane, designed by the founders who never, who, you know, it hasn't been updated in a couple hundred years. I don't think that's what they really want to do. I think they have an idea. They'd like to field um, a ticket that would win. I, I don't know that Haley would be a, a winning candidate. I don't know that she would only take votes from Donald Trump. Tom says we'll poll on that. But these things are hard to poll even after the fact. In 2000, Ralph Nader clearly cost – Ralph Nader's presence on the ballot cost Al Gore the presidency. I feel confident saying that. I mean, he got thousands of votes in Florida where Bush ended up winning after a 
contentious recall by 500 votes. He got, I don't know, 10,000 votes in New Hampshire, wherever. But in those two states, Florida and New Hampshire, if Nader's not on the ballot, Gore's probably president. But when social, when political scientists have gone in afterwards and look, and asked people who voted for Nader, what would you have done? A lot of them wouldn't have voted at all. Some of them would have, surprising percentage would have voted for Bush. It's not a zero-sum game. But people right. who cast votes outside the two parties have other grievances. And one of their grievances is that they think the two political parties, the duopoly, is corrupt and 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 tries to control things. That no label to, to fight that though, can you be a good government group by no labels? Well, maybe if they got, you know, Nikki Haley to run with uh, you know, my friend Greg Warman, independent from Kansas, or they got out and got Matthew McGonaghy or Dwayne Johnson or some superstar. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they could, but but there's an idea out there that we need a realignment. And if you're not gonna have a third choice in a year where Donald Trump and Joe Biden, two singularly unpopular nominees, are the nominees. Maybe we're never going to have one. So I, I don't think we should write them off. I don't think we should criticize their motives. And I don't think we ought to assume that it's a one-to-one thing, that people vote, uh, they they would vote for Joe Biden, then they would vote for Nikki Haley. I, I, I think it's more complex than that. Dom? It, it is more complex than that. And I, this race is going to be fascinating in that respect. And we, talking about third-party candidates, we just had news today that the PAC supporting RFK Jr. gathered enough, they say they've gathered enough signatures to get on the ballot in Arizona and Georgia, which are two of those big six battleground states that we mentioned. That is a huge, huge problem for for Joe Biden. Um, because again, you look at you look at nationally, Trump's leading Biden by about three points in the in the five way race. Kennedy's getting about thirteen point seven percent in our average, right? right? That's you know five or six polls that have been taken over the last couple months. Um, Cornell West is getting two. Jill Stein's getting two. The rest go to Biden and Trump. But it's the question is where are these folks all going to be on the ballot, right? Jill Stein as a Green Party, she's going to ride the Green Party ticket. She'll be on the ballot in in a decent amount of states. Cornell West, you know, is a little bit different, but where can Kennedy get on the ballot? The fact that he got on the ballot in Arizona, the fact that he got on the ballot in Georgia, um, both of those states look to be really, really, Georgia in particular looks to be really, really close. And so um, that, that is, that is, I think a big problem for, for Biden, unless somehow he can figure out how to, you know, some people, as Carl said, unless he can convince them. And sometimes you'll see this with third party and libertarian candidates. They'll pull pretty well until the end. And then people will pull back and say, ah, it's a waste of my vote. I'm going to go. Right. Biden's going to have to get to work doing that right now to make sure that he's squeezing every vote that he can away from RFK because every one of those votes votes in, in Georgia and Arizona in particular may, may count. Yeah. Well, you're listening to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM. I'm Andrew Walworth. I've got Carl Cannon and Tom Bevan with me. And Carl, one thing about no labels, um, you know, if you look at the history of third party candidates, especially most recently, um, personality uh, is a big part of it. You know, Ross Perot, and you can go back to Teddy Roosevelt and the Bull Moose Party, um, George Wallace, uh, you know, in, in what was that, 68, I guess, when he ran. Um, that, so it seems to me like you know, they've um, no label sort of has it backwards. I mean, they're, they've come up with a sort of a bunch of ideas and they're trying to find a person who they can fit into that uh, set of ideas as opposed to having a, you know, charismatic leader that people will rally behind. You know, I, I tend to agree with that, Andy. We are a personality driven society and our politics are personality driven. I mean, uh, 
what Liz Cheney uh, is calls what the the Trump phenomenon, the cult of personality, which is a term from Maoist China. But what they're saying is that the environment's different now. You've got overwhelming critical mass of Americans are really sick of the Democrats and Republicans, and particularly leery of these two very aged nominees, and that that the moment is right now for a movement to name the leader instead of the other way around. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's their theory of the case. Well, we shall see. We will have to leave it there. We're going to come back in a minute. And Tom Bevan is going to go deeper into the polls, especially regarding today's vote in Michigan. Uh, Later in the program, Carl Cannon is going to talk with national correspondent Susan Crabtree, and they'll be talking about this latest effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom can't believe it. This is the seventh time that they've tried this. We'll see what happens. Don't go away. I'm Andrew Walworth. You're listening to Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM. It's real. It's clear. And it's on POTUS. It's Real Clear Politics. Sirius XM 124. Informed viewpoints spanning the ideological spectrum. You're listening to Real Clear Politics on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124. And we are back. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics here on Real Clear Politics on Sirius XM. I'm joined now by Bernie Porn. He is the holster at Epic MRA in Lansing, Michigan. Bernie, uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your time today. I'm really glad to be with you, Tom. All right. So, Bernie, we have uh, I want to talk about your latest poll out of Michigan. But first, let's talk about the primary. It's happening as we speak. Polls are going to close in just a a little bit of time here. Um, what's what's it like on election day? I mean, what do we project turnout to be in this primary? We've seen we've seen turnout vary from from state to state. What are we expecting in Michigan today? Well, in uh, 2020, it was uh, two point just under 2.3 million, and I think it's probably going to come in under two, uh, maybe 1.9 million. Uh, voters. Uh, there just isn't the interest that there was before or the competition. And so I think it's going to be under that uh, uh, about 1.9 in that neighborhood. And uh, the big issue is to what extent are the uncommitted voters, uh, which are being prompted by uh, the Arab American news and uh, uh, a variety of Arab, Arab leaders, including the mayor of uh, Dearborn, uh, uh, to what extent are they going to be successful in a protest vote against uh, President Biden by uh, voting uncommitted? And uh, there's about 70,000, I think, uh, Arab voters roughly that uh, could participate and uh, are expected to participate, and not all of them are going to be participating in the Democratic primary. So I'm guessing it is going to be uh, probably in the in the five seven percent range, but it could be as high as ten. If it's higher than ten, why then something that we'll talk about in terms of our our uh, statewide uh, general election poll uh, could have had an impact, and that is the level of support for a ceasefire. Yeah, so talk about those numbers because that's interesting, and obviously the administration uh, or the campaign, I should say, the Biden campaign is is focused on this. Uh, Biden announced that he thinks. He was asked about this, I think, yesterday, and said uh, that he believes they're going to they're working on a ceasefire that they may have one done by the quote end of the weekend was the time uh, frame that he gave. He said he talked to his national security advisor, and they tell him things are close. Um, how, how much support is there? I mean, obviously, this has been a huge deal, and I saw Rashida Tlaib. I mentioned this earlier in the show that she came out and 
and said after she voted today that she was proud to vote uncommitted and that this is a this has been a real uh you know driving issue in the Arab American community there in Michigan. Well, we asked uh, uh thinking about the Israeli Hamas war taking place since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th based on what you know about the war in Gaza, do you think Israel should declare a ceasefire with Hamas so that they can try to negotiate the release of the remaining hostages and provide humanitarian aid in Gaza? Or should Israeli Israel continue the, to wage war against Hamas, try to f- find and save as many hostages as possible, and eliminate Hamas? 53% overall said uh, that a, a ceasefire should be declared uh, to negotiate for the release of the hostages. 27% said to continue the war uh uh, with Hamas, 20% were undecided. But when you look at uh, the uh, breakdown of that uh, uh, vote, uh, those who support a ceasefire, 74% of Democrats support a ceasefire, 64% of independent voters support a ceasefire, and Republicans, 49 to 32%, say continue the war. And so uh, there's a real partisan divide on that. But what I think could be happening is uh, if, in fact, uh, uh, a larger number than we expect, say uncommitted, that means that some of those 74% uh, above and beyond the Arab vote uh, will have been uh, persuaded to vote uncommitted. And so if we see a number that's uh, relatively high in the primary tonight, that's what I think could be happening. And if uh, they're polling on it as well, that could be why pre- the president is uh, going to come out and announce a, a ceasefire and uh uh, to to satisfy, I think, uh, uh, some of the Arab American uh, voters. Uh, uh, and if you read the Arab American news, uh, you can see clearly that uh, they've had some pretty harsh language for the president. Uh, if, in fact, uh, it's uh, higher than 10% at the most, why that means that that 74% uh, above the Arab vote have uh, uh, been persuaded to vote uncommitted. And that can be a problem in a general election. We're speaking with Bernie Porn. He is the uh, uh, pollster for Epic MRA in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, they released a poll last week. And Bernie, let's talk about that general election number. So you're showing uh, Donald Trump leading by four percentage points, 45 to 41. And uh, that's basically in line with other polls that have come out uh, over the past you know, few weeks. So you know, Michigan obviously was very, very close in 2016. Trump won it somewhat surprisingly. Most of the polls show that he was not going to win Michigan in 2016. Uh, in 2020, Joe Biden won by uh, relatively, I mean, it was close, but it was relatively comfortable compared 150, to 154,000. Exactly. Over 100,000 votes. Right. Certainly compared to Wisconsin, for example. Um, so talk about what you're seeing in this November. I mean, is this all driven by that, uh, you know, Arab American vote. And if we get a ceasefire and Democrats, will they come back to Biden? I mean, how big of a problem right. is this in, for heading heading into November? I think it could be a problem, but there are a whole variety of things that I think are problematic. And obviously, uh, the perception of uh, Joe Biden's age is uh, a problem he has to deal with. And unless he can find what Ponce de Leon could not find, the fountain of youth. Uh, I don't think there's anything that he's going to be able to do about the age problem, but they can try to attack uh, Donald Trump on some of his 
mistakes and misspeaking uh, that he has uh, been uh, uh, discovered making in his uh, speeches. But 66% think the country is off on the wrong track. And anytime you have a number like that, that's a problem for the incumbents. And in favorability, 38%. Uh, have a favorable opinion of Joe Biden. 40% have a favorable opinion of uh, Donald Trump. And in our last two polls, including November, and then this one, this is the first time we've had a higher favorability uh, for uh, Donald Trump uh, than for Joe Biden. And at the same time, uh, Governor Whitmer has a 53% favorable rating. And on job rating, you've got uh, uh, 67%. Uh, giving a negative job rating to the president, uh, 31% positive rating. And again, at the same time, Whitmer has a 53% uh, positive rating on the economy. Uh, 29% say it's improving or will improve. 23% will get worse. And 42% say it's uh, going to remain about the same. We also asked a number of questions about uh, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, If... uh, uh, former President Trump, uh, if, they, if voters think that former President Trump committed a crime by urging his supporters to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election, and a 50% bare majority said yes, he did, 42% said he did not. Uh, we also asked whether or not people think that he would be con- uh, convicted of a crime. Uh, 46% said yes, 43% said no. Overwhelming uh, belief, yes, among Democrats. Uh, slightly more saying no among independents and overwhelming uh, uh, no among uh, Republicans. And we asked if, in fact, he is committed of a crime before the election, uh, what would that happen in terms of a revote? And 44% said they would vote for Biden. 44% said they would vote for Trump. So that would make it a dead even match. Wow. In we got about 90 seconds left, Bernie. And I want to ask you about the, the union vote. And obviously both campaigns have been there. Biden's been uh, spent some time in Michigan. Trump was there not too long ago talking about electric vehicles and trying to woo union members. Give our, our listeners a quick sense of, I know the union uh, auto union has endorsed Biden, um, but also admitted that a lot of their memberships supports Donald Trump. Um, how, how's the union vote going to split in Michigan? Well, this year? that's a very interesting uh, number because uh, uh, in uh, our November per- survey, uh, a uh, plurality uh, were supporting Trump over uh, over Biden. And uh, in this election, in this poll, why it's reversed and it's a plurality supporting Biden. So the UAW endorsement has helped to the tune of about probably seven or eight points. Uh, but it is clearly just a plurality far from the 60 percent uh, union support that uh, uh, Biden got in the uh, 2020 election. So that's really up for grabs uh, between the two of them. And indeed, the EV issue, electric vehicles, is a uh, point of contention between the two. And that's why you're seeing Biden back off a little bit in terms of uh, pushing for the electric uh, vehicles. Okay. Okay. We will leave it there. Bernie Porn with Epic MRA. Uh, Bernie, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Take care. All right. You're listening to Real Clear Politics on SiriusXM. I'm Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of RCP. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Carl Cannon will speak with national correspondent Susan Crabtree about the effort to recall Gavin Newsom in California. Stick around. We'll be right back. Online at realclearpolitics.com. On air on SiriusXM Channel 124. Real Clear Politics is on POTUS.
Welcome back to Real Clear Politics on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124. Welcome back to Real Clear Politics on POTUS. I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief of RCP, talking now with fellow Californian, native Californian, Susan Crabtree, who's our national political correspondent and has written a piece that we have on the site this morning about the latest effort to recall Gavin Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom of California. If you're not a Californian, um, you you may not know that you can recall the governor. In These are the reforms brought in by the progressives at the turn of the century, the last century, a century ago by Hiram Johnson, the progressives. And the idea was to give the voters more say in their government. The state of California at that time was run by Southern Pacific Railroad and the lobbyists and and corrupt legislators, and this was a, a great reform. Now it's pure democracy. You can you can recall a governor the same way you could impeach a president, but the people do it on a referendum, and you don't need high crimes or misdemeanors. You can just not like the guy. Susan, before I get you talking about Gavin Newsom, I'm going to tell you something that you probably don't know. My grandmother, <laughs> Irene Cannon, she lived in Sacramento, was instrumental in trying to recall Ronald Reagan as governor. It was... <laughs> It was it was an unsuccessful effort. Uh, Ronald Reagan was an enormously popular governor, but it was somewhat embarrassing for her her oldest son, my dad, Lou Cannon, because he was covering Reagan in Sacramento at the time. So anyway, <laughs> and went on to write several books about him, successful books about him that are in the Reagan Library. That's right. Uh, so, so let so let me ask you. So didn't didn't the Dem- didn't the Republicans already try to get, recall Gavin Newsom and didn't it blow up in their face? What are they doing? Oh, goodness. It's the seventh time. So they're hoping that the seventh time is a charm. There was only one successful attempt to get it on the ballot. They were successful in 2021. Uh, And then when it went to the voters, it failed miserably. Uh, He, Gavin Newsom, was able to secure the same, basically the exact same margin he did when he won in 2018, which was about 60% to about 38%. So so what what did they accomplish in this in huge effort and now I mean, the Democrats like to say that it cost the state 215 million dollars to have the recall itself. So it's actually contributing to the deficit. All right, wait a minute, wait a minute deficit. though. Also, also it gave <laughs> Gavin Newsom a war chest of money that he's using, as you point out in your story, to go around the country trolling Republicans in red states. So this thing backfired in a spectacular way. Why didn't they learn their lesson? Well, because that's the only tool in their tool chest right now. Uh, But actually, there is some movement on Prop 47, which you know is one of the biggest concerns in in California right now, it's the proposition that passed in 2014 that allows a felony to be a misdemeanor if it's not more than $950 in theft, thefts. So a lot of the even progressives in San Francisco, uh, even the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, is attacking uh, Proposition 47 right now. And Gavin Newsom was one of the first elected, highest elected officials when he was lieutenant governor to come out and support that. He wants to tweak it, but he doesn't want to repeal it. Uh, So that's where the fight, a lot of Republicans think the fight should be right now and on school boards and other things that they've managed to have some some successes in, even though minor. Um, 
But you, this, you, they said, is like tilting at wind, windmills. There's no way he's going to be recalled. You quote Gary South in your piece, one of the most astute political ver- observers in the state. And he, that's what he says. There's no chance to do it. So the Republicans, is it going to be a fair thing for Democrats to say, OK, you wasted another $200 million of taxpayers' money. You wasted your own efforts. You emboldened Gavin Newsom once again. You're now giving him more money that he can spend on probably running for president or anything he wants to. What are the what are the people pushing this initiative? What is their response to that? Because those seems to me like pretty good critiques. Well, I think there's frustration right now because the, the state of California, especially San Francisco, has become the butt of jokes. Of course, during uh, Ron DeSantis's debate with Newsom, there was the poop map, the you know, notorious poop map that got a lot of laughs uh, during that debate. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Do tell our readers what that was. <laughs> Our, our listeners. Yes, uh, the Poop Map Show is a phenomenon in San Francisco that uh, is an app that you can uh, you can locate and drop a pin where there where you've spied poop in the city, human excrement or otherwise. Um, it is a you know knock on San Francisco. Obviously, there's homelessness has spiraled out of control, and the the state under Gavin Newsom has spent upwards of twenty billion dollars on homelessness. And now in May 5th, we have another proposition in California to spend $6 billion more on homelessness. This should um, should go at the mental the mental health issue for the first time. So Gavin Newsom saying that's a change. But, you know, San Francisco and the state with the smash and grabs and the high crime and homelessness has become the butt of many jokes. So Republicans are extremely frustrated with the fact that here he is running for president. And there was a great cartoon, a political cartoon that said, like, you know, he's he has like a he's a hitchhiker with a White House sign leaving a state that's falling off a cliff. Well, so, you know, it's yeah, but, you know, he, he in his defense, um, I'll, I'll, quickly, I'm talking to Susan Crabtree here, national correspondent for Real Clear Politics. I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief for listening to Real Clear Politics on POTUS. You know, this thing about Gavin Newsom being blamed for California, I, I, I wonder how much how much traction that has with voters. There are these intractable problems that, he, that were there when he got there. They're going to be there when he leaves. He he himself, although he spends all this money, you know, fighting with DeSantis and, you know, now he's after Tennessee, Alabama. He goes, he's, he's in the, he's, culture warrior man he's at the forefront of it but he insists he's not running for president and Mm -hmm. and and anytime anybody tries to get the smallest daylight between joe biden and the presidency newsom shuts him down he insists he's not doing that he has no intention of doing that he is the most outspoken person he'll just say flatly biden's a great president and Mm -hmm. you know so why is why is he considered why isn't that you know he's look he's the president biden's best surrogate he's better on biden's behalf than biden is so why doesn't he get credit for that? Why does everybody assume, and I'm one of them, and you are too, but why do we assume he's running for president? He says he isn't. Well, he said, uh, I think I'll meet the press this weekend, that he reveres the president's agenda uh, and his record. It's because we have a president who is not in the best, you know, he can argue he has a memory problem. And certainly when um, he, he's been, obviously, he could have health problems, um, and you know, God forbid, but it is it's a reality that I think the country through polls, we have all all of us are worried about it in some capacity, uh, his ability to 
continue as president. And so if something happens at the convention, uh, before the convention, there's this real possibility, since he is the best surrogate, that he would be the nominee. They would switch him out um, and not have Kamala Harris, which is more well, who is more unpopular all right, but, than Biden. All right, let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Under that scenario, <laughs> first of all, uh, why don't they... So is it Michelle Obama or is it Gavin Newsom? I'll throw that out there. Secondly, why isn't it Gretchen Whitmer? Because if you switch, if if you switch Gavin Newsom in there, Kamala Harris can't be the vice presidential nominee. You have to get rid of her too, because they're mm-hmm. not good under the constitution. You'd have to forfeit California's electoral votes. They're not going to want to do that. So going to Gavin means a whole new slate. Um, do you think he's really thinking about this? Oh yeah, I think well, he's term limited, and so he there's election. There's already a number. His lieutenant governor. Um, his superintendent of schools, all of these people lining up to run. Uh, so he is a lame duck. And he has always wondered, wondered when he was mayor, after he left the mayoral office and became lieutenant governor, he was concerned about the loss of power. There were interviews with him that he he didn't know what to do with himself. He, he couldn't believe that nobody wanted to, to really talk to him. And he wasn't the center of political gravity in San Francisco anymore. So I do think he has strong political ambitions and he will run in 2028. So this effort is a way to cast a pall on any attempt for him that, oh, there's this backlash that's been constantly going on in the state and the state's in ruins and a butt of many jokes. And there's a mass exodus uh, from California. I remember the last recall in California that was successful. I guess the only time they got rid of a governor was 2003. Gray Davis was the governor. Then I knew Gray. I interviewed him and he, he had an interesting quote that year. This was the election that ended up with Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming president. And he said, mm-hmm. um, he said, look, Carl, and he was not popular. He was, he was less popular. He was less popular than Gavin Newsom is. And he said, they don't need to do backflips of joy into the voting booth. They just need to go in there and put and pull a lever for my name. Well, they didn't. And we ended up with the, the governor. And I guess what Gavin Newsom is thinking, whatever you think of Gavin Newsom, they're not going to recall him. And and they may not be doing backflips of joy into the voting booth right now in California <laughs> for Gavin Newsom. But as you pointed out in your story, as, as you, you quote these people, there is no way he's going to lose this. Uh, I think we have to leave it there. Now we're out of time. My guest has been Susan Crabtree. I'm Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief for Real Clear Politics. Susan is our national correspondent and this and you've been listening to real clear politics on potus join us again tomorrow politics of the united states for the people we the the people people of the united states this is potus sirius xm 124 and on the sirius xm app